for example, just one survey recently done where we were asking consumers around the world uh, how long a time they thought it would take before they would acquire their first uh, 5G smartphone from it being launched. And uh, globally, it was around 50% of consumers said they would do that within a year after 5G uh, products were launched. But in, in uh, a few of these very aspirational markets, you would see it happening as soon as it's available. And that is kind of, uh, I think, a symbol for the whole aspiration of being, you know, with the, with the latest and greatest and really show. Hi, and welcome to another episode in Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield, and this is another in our Transmissions from Tomorrow-themed episodes. And I have two wonderful guests from the team at Ericsson in Schuster, about 20 kilometers out of uh, Stockholm in Sweden with me today. I'm going to introduce you individually and then bring you into the show. Uh, Cecilia Adewal, VP and Head of Marketing Communications for Ericsson Networks. Hi, Cecilia. How are you? Hello, Des. I'm fine. Great to hear your voice. Thank you for joining me. And we also have uh, Thomas Noren, who's the VP and Head of 5G Commercialization at Ericsson. Hi, Thomas. How are you? Hi. Hi, Des. Great to be on the show. Uh, It's great to have you both here. I'm always honored when there's two wonderful people from Ericsson on the show because we have really good fun chatting. Now, for folks who are tuned in and listening, thank you very much for joining us. Just a quick outline on what we're going to be covering. We're going to be introducing the exciting uh, announcement of the November 2018 Ericsson Mobility Report, one of my favorite reads ever. We're going to talk about 5G and how it's here, and uh, we're going to talk about some of the numbers and forecasts. We're also going to talk about traffic capacity and what it means in the 5G world. We're going to have a conversation about uh, what the team can tell us about the possibilities of 5G uh, deployment and why it's the fastest G out of them all from 3, 4 and so forth to deploy. We're going to have a chat about costs, particularly from the consumer and operator's point of view, uh, and how it's affecting the move to 5G and why 5G is so much, uh, I guess, lower cost per gigabyte. We're going to chat about device outlook and what we can expect uh, in the world of devices over the next year or so, particularly in fixed wireless access and some of the things that have been done recently in Hawaii. And we're going to chat about paving the way to 5G and the future of 5G and what needs to be done in the short to medium long term. And we're going to wrap up with a bit of crystal ball gazing around some of the future use cases. In particular, I've made a note that I'd like to chat about IoT, the Internet of Things, and smart manufacturing. Cecilia, maybe we can start with you. I'd really love to get you to uh, tell us about the latest edition, the November 2018 Ericsson Mobility Report, if you don't mind. Thank you so much, Des. So the recent release of the mobility report had a few lead numbers. And if we dive right into 5G to begin with. So we also we always like to do a prediction up to and forecast up to um, with the closest number of years. So this time we are um, predicting up to 2024. And by then, we expect to see 1.5 billion 5G subscriptions, and um, over 40% of the world's population would be covered by by 5G. Wow. And uh, beyond that, we also see how 5G will really come in handy to take care of the mobile data traffic that is exploding, so that over 25% of all the mobile data traffic in the world we see would be covered by, by 5G networks. Where are the biggest growth areas for this? I mean, reading the latest version, and it's sitting on my screen here, and I, I, I printed a copy out, and the copy has got notes all over it. And one of the things I was keen to understand was where are the big moves? Where are the big shifts you've seen since the, since the previous edition? I mean, there's always movement in the market in various areas. Where are the biggest shifts and the biggest changes you've seen as far as the numbers in, in the current release? 
Well, if you look to 5G uh, as such, we are um, continuing up the growth ladder for the the different uh, areas of numbers that I mentioned. So last release of the mobility report, we had a forecast period one year ago up to 2023. And then we were talking about 1 billion 5G subscriptions. So it is tracking on that line. When it comes to the traffic growth, uh, this is an area where we really see a big uptake um, again. So actually, what we see now over the last year from Q3 2017 uh, to Q3 quarter three of 2018 uh, is the highest quarterly growth rate since, uh, since 2013. And um, it's about uh, 80 traffic, 80 percent uh, traffic growth over that last year. And with that, we also expect the traffic to continue to grow uh, by about five times up to the end of 2024. I think it's pretty interesting to see, you know, what what drives this traffic growth. Yeah. And of course, there are more and more subscribers that have smartphones in the world. Uh, close to 90% of all smartphones sold now are, are phones sold now are smartphones. But it's really so many people already have them, but it's really the increased use of video. Right. And video consumes a lot of capacity and drives a lot of this data growth. And we see no no signs of any, uh, it won't abate over time. It's just mm. people use more and more and higher and higher quality videos. Exactly. And it's both uh, because of the increased viewing time as such, but also how more and more video content is embedded into you know, different web pages, social media, uh, networking, and so on. And, of course, also the um, evolution of, of uh, video streams themselves into higher resolutions, more demanding formats. But again, I mean, video is really the traffic uh, driver of the mobile networks today. Mm. Around about 60% of all the traffic in the mobile networks is, is video already today. And it's just going to continue to increase uh, over time. It's quite astounding, isn't it? There, I mean, there was a statistic in the last edition, I think it was, where I read and uh, Ericsson announced that they were onboarding one million new mobile subscribers a day globally. I just That was just an astounding number. But there was a funny anecdote. Um, I had uh, Patrick uh, Kerwell on the show recently, and he was telling me that uh, – he couldn't work out where all the data was going on his son's mobile phone plan. And then one day he just he was watching his son listen to music and realized that he wasn't listening to streaming uh, audio for music. He was going to YouTube, finding his favorite song, pushing play and putting it in his pocket. In other words, streaming right. real-time video to get yeah. music, right? And I, the other thing I noticed now, I was in New York the other day and I noticed it, I noticed it in Madrid uh, last week, people walking around holding their phones out in front of them and doing video calls. Uh, it, it's, yes. You know, it's just it, it's gone beyond explosion. It's not even exponential. It's it's a complete pivot, and I noticed it also not just in you know. At one point, I thought it was like new emerging users. I thought, okay, if you've never had a smartphone before and you don't know to put it up next to your ear, and uh, and you've just gotten this device and and you realize that it can do video, you're naturally going to do that by default because that seems normal. But I'm also mm. my my mum wants to do video calls with me, and you know, <laughs> she's no spring chicken. Yeah. And she's had a phone for a long time. Um, And she's made this pivot to video without even thinking about just because it can do it. Is that, I mean, is that really the case now? But just, is it the case that it can be done, therefore people will? It's one of those things where, you know, they talk about um, 
you know, every time you build a new freeway, it doesn't matter whether you put one, two, three, four, or 20 lanes, they will eventually fill up. Is that is that really what we're seeing now and what the mobility report's reporting, that if you build a capability or capacity, people will just use it? I think that's a great analogy, actually. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that's exactly what it is. You know, when I mean, basically what we do, we, we provide networks that have so much greater capabilities that, you know, most of us couldn't imagine 10 years ago. But now people start to use them and they invent around them. I mean, that's where the iPhone came from. You know, that's uh, where we're seeing all these over-the-top applications, uh, all the streaming. I mean, people, you know, people stream everything now. Music, video, you know, you don't buy anything anymore. You don't, you know, you don't do downloads. You don't buy music. You stream everything. And I think it's this is this is the way forward because people are used to having access to all content anywhere and anytime. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's inherent in uh, in I think in the way we want to live our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that, that always also, always on and instant on, isn't it? That you know, uh, I, I'm the same. Like I, I hate to admit it. But I will, I will regularly have a YouTube video on a second laptop next to me. And whether I'm listening to music or just listening to the news or whatever, you know, I would once upon a time I'd tune into the radio. But now I'm just almost addicted to having a talking head on the screen next to me to keep me company. And I don't really know when that happened, but I can't give it up. Um, you know, and, and I think it's built into our DNA. I, I don't. Re- I wish I knew when it happened because uh, maybe I could put my finger on why. Well, uh, Thomas, maybe give us some insight into kind of, I mean, you know, your role as, as head of 5G commercialization probably gives you a fairly unique insight into the whole traffic capacity challenge around 5G. I think there are two sides to this coin, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, when it comes to traffic capacity, as we're talking just now, it strikes me that 5G gives us an enormous new capability in low latency, high throughput, high bandwidth capacity, but also, as we just said, if we build something, they're going to fill it up. What can you share about the whole space of traffic capacity in 5G? What does it make possible? But also, what are we already doing with it? I mean, uh, as we as we talked about before, I think video is already now the by far largest data consumer, if you look at all, of all applications. Um, voice is just noise, for example, in the, in, uh, in, in the networks today. Uh, it's, it's a very, very small share of uh, what the networks are used for. And it's ironic then that all mobile networks were origi- originally built only for, for voice. So it's pretty amazing that we have been able to evolve the networks and the sites uh, where all the base stations and antennas are to support all this enormous traffic growth. I mean, can you imagine of any other phenomenon that grows by 80% or more year over year, and we still manage to, you know, supply all the uh, to the to that demand increase? I, I think it's pretty unique. But what's happening now, though, is that uh, capacity. So. Everything that we do with mobile networks depends on how much spectrum you have. And even if you start to build out 4G on all spectrum that an operator typically has available in a major city, they will start to run out of capacity. It's simply not possible. So then you have two options. Either you introduce, you give it more spectrum, tends to be higher bands, or you try to find more sites and densify and put up more antennas. And of course, there's going to be a combination of those two things. But where 5G really comes in is that we really can enable uh, spectrum frequencies that were not possible to support with 4G. And that's where all this capacity from 5G comes from. Right. 
I, I remember reading, I made a note, was, I think it was on page 14, is it the report, the latest edition, uh, particularly talking about fire, the, the whole mobile traffic uh, uh, statistic. And there was a point there I, I made just to, to look into with regard to the increased mobile traffic in regions. And I think there was a note um, in that whole section around how Northeast Asia have been driving this, this massive, you know, I think it was listed 79 or 8% growth. Is, is there a particular call? I mean, what do we know about what's driving that? I mean, is it, is there, uh, is it an age thing? Is it a culture thing? Is there any particular thing or is it just a general size and scale of, of population that's driving that kind of explosive growth year on year? So it's, it's actually a, um, an increase of around 140 percent during 2018 in Northeast Asia alone. And um we think that this, uh, you know, the region as such is just closely after uh, North America in terms of, of usage with, uh, you know, worldwide. I, I think that uh, for, for Northeast Asia, we see a lot of, of hunger for new services. Um, and uh, it's, it's really uh, fully leveraging also a lot of both. Um, and depending on which country you are in Northeast Asia, of course, would be different services. But it's the same uh, traffic pattern that we would see anywhere else with also a lot of video usage uh, driving it. Actually, it's around, uh, around uh, comparable to streaming HD video for around 10 hours per month, what they would be uh, uh, using at in the, by the end of, of this year. Wow. Now and I, 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 yeah, go no, I, I was thinking that, you know, I was in Shanghai uh, this summer, and it's pretty amazing to see, you know, you have a, a f uh, you know, a fast-growing population, you have a lot of young people, everybody's with a smartphone, and they use it all the time, and I think it's sort of part of that economic growth you see in many of the uh, uh, Southeast Asian countries that, you know, it's part of the whole evolution that uh, uh, mobile telephony, smartphone, mobile broadband, that's part of their their evolution. Yeah, so I think it's I part think it's, of the culture. And it's part of the aspirational yeah. part of the culture, too. So, you know, I, I also used to head up Ericsson Consumer Lab, which does a lot of consumer research. And and, and looking at um, a number of these countries like Korea and China, so there is a, a lot of tech-savvy and very interested consumers who really want to have the latest phone. And, and um, for example, just one survey recently done where we were asking consumers around the world uh, how long a time they thought it would take before they would acquire their first uh, 5G smartphone from it being launched. And globally, it was around 50% of consumers said they would do that within a year after 5G uh, products were launched. But in, in uh, a few of these very aspirational markets, you would see it happening as soon as it's available. Mm. And that is kind of, of uh, I think, a symbol for the whole aspiration of being, you know, with the, with the latest and greatest and really show you're technically savvy and you're you're to fully, full extent, uh, leveraging what what uh, what you could do as a consumer. Wow, I, I did read something the other day that um, was actually an old blog on the Ericsson website uh, I'd seen some time ago, but I made a note of it because it was interesting, um, and the, and it linked to something else I'd read on on Harvard Business Review recently, which is where uh, culturally in the West, if you like, we we are often contracted for you know, in, in my case, you know, I've got a contract for two years with my phone. Uh, in Southeast Asia, that isn't necessarily always the case. Devices rotate quickly. They're slightly lower cost. They're cheaper, whatever. We tend to get, uh, well, certainly myself, but it seemed that in the West and, and North America and Australia and New Zealand, in my experience, we're tied to these multi-year contracts. So even if I get the latest device now, it's it's a couple of years before I roll out and even, even want to get to the next device because otherwise I have to pay out a premium. 
Um, whereas in other nations, that isn't the case. I had a friend come back from India the other day and uh, he bought a really cheap phone. It was about 120 US dollars. It was basically just gave it away when he left. But he was also telling me the cost of data and access. It was like $3 a day for unlimited data. And he'd, I forget the name of the brand, but he subscribed to a carrier where there was no voice. It was just purely data. So they used apps all the time. So WhatsApp and whatnot, they, they didn't actually make voice calls. I thought that was also a big changer because here in Australia, that's exactly the opposite. You know, we, we buy these massive data plans and massive voice plans. They run for two years. Uh, you know, I think the latest iPhone 10 on a two-year plan is $3,000 over two years. I mean, that just doesn't happen in India and China and, and, and you know, even, I guess, the 54 nations of, of Africa with 1.1 billion people. That, that must be a dramatic uh, change in, in behaviour in the consumer pattern as well because, the, you know, I'm not going to be incentivized to get the next 5G phone for two years because I just got a new phone, right? Whereas if I'm not tied to a contract, I can go and get it tomorrow. Very interesting that you would bring this up. Uh, we actually have a new report coming out uh, later here in December where we have looked at uh, all the different uh, subscriptions plans around uh, over 260 mobile operators globally. And uh, when it comes to pure unlimited subscription, it's only three operators who only provide that. The most common is still the bucket. But what we do see, which is building out uh, the example you had there with, with um, some, some markets that are tried different ways of charging. Uh, a few years back, we saw charging plans coming out, for example, out of Indonesia, where you could buy social media uh, time for certain apps and so on. And that is now one of the kind of services that is coming to uh, also uh, other markets and for more demanding services like video, uh, packaged video offerings with a certain service with the subscription for it. So, so then that is one of the examples where we see that we could, you know, actually we could learn from how it's packaged and sold differently in um, in markets like Indonesia and India, and actually coming into more uh, slow to move markets like yeah. in some cases in Europe, for example. But I think I think that there is um there is one aspect of this, and it's e easy to forget, and that is. If you really want to have a good service, and in Australia you have a very good service, you have, you know, you can get fantastic coverage, you have very good uh, capacity. I mean, I think you really value that as a as a consumer, as a user. But it actually costs something to build that also. And if you ask in many in many Western countries, uh, you could say, okay, so a mobile broadband subscription is maybe the equivalent of a, you know a, a, a relatively cheap meal, say a beer and a pizza. In in Sweden, where we live, you know, it's even cheaper than a mobile broadband subscription. It's cheaper than a beer and a pizza. But if you ask somebody, okay, I'll give you a beer and a pizza, and I'll take your mobile broadband subscription a month, do we have a deal? Nobody accepts it. If you offer two beers and two pizzas, they won't accept it either. So I think we actually value the service we get a lot more than we are than than we pay. And the problem then is that um, you know if 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 we don't pay enough for these services, then there won't be money enough to invest, you know, for 5G and even greater services going forward. And I think that that is something I think should be in balance, uh, you know, when you when you look at what needs to be done to build out the capacity for this 80% a year growth that we talked about earlier. No, that's a great point. There's, there's that always that phrase of the race to zero, isn't it? And uh, I always, yeah, I always like to bring out the fact that in the race to zero. We often get to a point where uh, we're not only getting to a zero price point, but it's also zero value. And, and I do like that example you gave of uh, 
uh, a beer and a pizza because uh, in Australia that could end up in World War Three. There's um, now I want to chat. <laughs> I want to chat about the possibilities of what five G uh, and the five G deployment mean. But you were just talking about some of the costs there. One of the things that I, I had a note on here is just the costs around consumers and operators and what's affecting the move to five G. In particular, why is the cost per gigabyte lower? I, I think it's a natural segue from what we're just talking about. Um, I, I would love if one of you could maybe just briefly talk about that whole split between the consumer operator cost component and what areas are affecting the move to 5G, particularly the, the I had a note here as to, you know, well, how is it that 5G is so much, not so much cheaper, but more cost effective on a per gigabyte basis? Uh, so, uh, so as we talked a little bit about before, what we do is that we introduce for, the first thing we do is we introduce 5G on on new spectrum bands, and they are on very high frequency. So, um, what they can the benefit of those is that are they are very wide. So you can you get a much what we call wider carrier. You can use much more spectrum, and uh, it's a mathematical, you can prove this mathematically, that if you have a wider spectrum, a wider carrier, then you can also transmit a lot more data. So that's one of the reasons why you can do it. The other reason is that um, we introduce a host of new exciting technologies that were not possible to do uh, five or ten years ago. Massive MIMO is, is, is one thing, where you can, you can use it in different ways. You can steer... Um, you can steer the radio signal much more accurately towards the specific device you use, or you can split up the, uh, the beams to different subscribers, and then you can use the same spectrum multiple times simultaneously. So there are a host of new technologies that we are introducing with 5G that enables this this uh, um, uh, much greater capacity. And the result of all this is that we believe that on a site-per-site basis, you can basically take down the cost per delivered gigabyte or bit to about a tenth of what it was when we started to introduce 4G. And if you think about it, that's absolutely needed because with the enormous traffic growth we talked about before and the reality that most consumers don't want to pay for all that traffic growth, you basically pay almost the same year over year over year, right? You need to find a new technology that is so much cheaper to deliver all those bits that you want um, um, to just make up for that increase in traffic. Right. Do you think we're at a point where one of the one of the observations I've seen in in media uh, in various forms and the consumption of media, and we've seen this on the internet, where let's just say YouTube, you watch a video, there's an advert in the beginning, there's an advert at the end, and often if it's a, a an important piece of content, they shove an ad in the middle. Are we getting <laughs> are we getting to the point where we we get a free mobile phone from from a, a cheap food vendor who says you know if you listen to an ad and watch ads you're going to get a free phone because i've noticed this in the gaming space you know my my son the other day showed me and i won't name the brand because i don't need the free advertising but new games just come (laughs) out it's very addictive and uh i don't let my kids pay for any of these in-game spending they think i'm very mean but it's like you know some of these big billion dollar companies don't need another dollar from us so there are two options you could work really hard and level up by playing every level or you could watch a 60 second ad and it got you to the next level and got you more gold coins and i was like Mm -hmm. well maybe there's a point in time where you know from a cost point of view if the, if the data is coming down that much um do we see the, the the sort of the web search advertising or the the youtube advertising where to make this call watch this 60 second ad and you can dial a friend i mean is that even a remotely going to be a, a thing that you see in the future do you think yeah i think so i think if you 
if I just look to my own kids, they are already, they think commercial, I mean, their their definition of a commercial is a time they pay to be able to see the YouTube content that they want. I mean, I don't even think that they have really understood what, what commercial is beyond the fact that this is something I have to watch mom for 25 seconds before I can see the YouTube clip of my my personal gaming star performing a, a cool thing in, in the game I'm currently playing. And this is just how it's done. Yes. And that's how, how, they, how they see it um, already. It's almost like they're, they're already trained for that space. I mean, we, you know, well, I'm going to age myself now, but, you know, from the shift from radio to TV to kind of digital, you know, online and web, and, and you know, I was lucky enough to be involved in bringing the internet to Australia. I did see this whole transition where advertising followed it, right? You know, when we sort of thought of building the internet, we wanted to keep it clean and free and, uh, you know, like pizza and beer. Um, but, uh, you know, all of a sudden now it's, you know, we're not running the internet anymore. It's, it's, large, it's essentially large advertising companies are filling the world with it um, and some other content that we won't mention here. But um, that leads me to my next question, in fact, and that is that when we think about, you know, not so much just kids watching ads but just the access uh, models, I guess, access types. There was an interesting uh, demo that was done recently where Ericsson provided the, the network capability. Uh, another organization uh, provided the spectrum and, and, and network space as far as the carrier and the operator goes as a partner. And somebody provided a, a little sort of, you know, a, a hockey puck sized device that provided either fixed wireless or semi-fixed wireless access point. I'd love to get some uh, insight from what you're seeing out there with what we can expect with regard to devices. I guess the whole device outlook, you know, what, what's going to be the first thing that we can run around? Are we going to see a smartphone? Are we going to see fixes, fixed wireless access, uh, personal, uh, you know, routers? What, what's coming up in the short to medium term and where do you think it's going to go in the medium to long term? Uh, that's exciting, yeah. I mean, we if you look at already now, uh, Verizon in the U.S., they were first to launch a fixed wireless access service. So you have a, a home router with often a, an outdoor mounted antenna. And then, but, but what we're definitely going to see in the first half of next year is the first smartphones. And in between, there will be these um, pocket routers or these pucks where, which you will have to connect to fast fast uh, uh, mobile broadband, and then you can use them to connect them to your or Wi-Fi to any other device. So, But it's really exciting. We have, we have actually already showcased the first smartphone form factors um, over the air uh, with some of our partners. So we are pretty confident that that's going to come. It's not going to come in every country at the same time, uh, but the U.S. is certainly posed for uh, or positioned for uh, having the first smartphones next year. Yeah, and if you would, uh, if you saw uh, the um, launches of the three Korean operators on on December first, they were actually showcasing uh, video calls on a, on a smartphone prototype already too. So it's it's bound to happen, and uh, we would see already by by Q1, Q2 of next year, um, uh, multiple smartphones coming onto the market. It seemed to me that a lot of uh, a lot of you know I guess uh, hardware manufacturers, in particular the devices, in the in the early sort of period uh, and certainly earlier this year in 2018, it seemed like there was a land grab where people were desperate to get out there and sort of be the first to the game. I get the sense now that that land grab is over and and this whole concept of 5G is here. It's a it's a real thing. It's working. There are trials happening, and certainly in Australia we've got two or three trials that are already in place. 
it's not so much a land grab now and not even a me too. It's just a case of we are doing it. It's happening. Um, I, I'm really keen to get your insight on kind of, uh, you know, as far as actually paving the way for the 5G future, given that 5G is here and the devices are already coming and we're seeing demos, um, what actually needs to be done from here on in to actually just deploy 5G? I mean, there was a comment before uh, with regard to, and I'd like to dive, in, dive into this later on a bit further, but uh, as far as the possibilities of 5G deployment. But you made a comment about 5G being the fastest to deploy. Um, in the whole space of paving the way to f- the 5G future, I mean, what actually needs to be done between now and, and actually making it a real thing, realising that dream? What are your views on kind of the next key steps? What do we have to do to make this happen? So, so I think that a couple of things. I mean, from a, from governments, for example, I think it's very important that countries are assigned spectrum. That has happened in a lot of countries already. And that spectrum needs to be assigned, in our view, on, on terms that uh, encourages operators to, to invest in 5G. So lease time should be long enough and and uh, they shouldn't pay too much, but, you know, so they can have some money to invest in the gear that actually will provide the service. So I think that's one important aspect. But then I think what would really will help the uptake of 5G, which is fundamentally new compared to previous generation shifts, is that for the first time, uh, operators can reuse already made investments in, in spectrum and infrastructure. Because we are reintroducing techniques where you uh, simultaneously with 4G can also run 5G on these lower bands that you need to have to build good coverage. So that will enable operators to build out coverage and capacity much faster on 5G than than in any other uh, generation shift. And then, as, as, as Cecilia said before, you know, there are a lot of new devices uh, coming up also. Mm. I mean, how many did we see announced uh, already in, in October this year? It was uh, over 20 yeah. different devices. Yeah. So, I mean, you see a very rapid uptake and a lot of competition from different device vendors to try to be there, be there early and maybe differentiate themselves with, uh, with 5G also. Mm. I had the privilege of uh, authoring a, a blog a couple of days ago that's now published on the Big Ideas blog on ericsson.com. Uh, always a thrill to write on there. And uh, one of the questions I was asked to talk about was sort of uh, initially it was going to be a 5G tech update, but we looked at, I guess, you know, how carriers are going to be deploying different services. And we focused on fixed wireless access, particularly because of the news around Verizon launching their FWA offering. And the more I looked at it, and I had a really great conversation with a couple of the, the team uh, around this space, the more we looked at it, there was some really fundamental things around just significantly lower cost to deploy, significantly lower time to deployment and get it to market as a faster time to market. Um, we didn't, didn't really need any uh, in-street wiring and any other permits to build. You know, you didn't have to tear up the street and roll out new cable and coax and what, God knows what, conduits. Um, but the key thing you just touched on there was it seemed to me that this whole shorter time to realize an ROI. So, you know, carriers always have massive sunk costs. They've got, you know, sometimes 15 plus years in routers and switches and servers and cable and street and antennas and poles and wires. It seems to me that 5G, as you said, like it can be encapsulated and can be run over top of different things. Is it fair to say that, that um, you know, and I think there was a, a point before around 5G being the fastest of all the G so far to deploy. What can yeah. you share around that whole 
you know, possibilities of 5G deployment? What are the key things? You know, how, why is it going to be the fa fastest of all the Gs so far to deploy? I think you had a bit of the answer already in your question there about all the infrastructures actually able to, to or that we can reuse when we deploy 5G in the first instance of, of non-standalone, meaning that you could rely on, on the existing uh, LTE network as a foundation. Right. And, and, and apart from reusing all the, the sites and the towers and the, uh, the mass and steel and concrete and um, everything else you've done, uh, we also believe that we are, we are building products that are easier to install and smaller. So you can actually put up more of them in new places in a much easier way than you could do before. Uh, that can be on lampposts or utility poles or, or other things which are close to where people actually live and use the data. And that will greatly uh, speed up deployments uh, and enhance capacity in the networks going forward. Another one, uh, I think for us particularly, Ericsson, that we're very proud of is actually the fact that a lot of the already install, installed hardware is capable of 5G already with the radios and basebands in the field. So that means that you can actually deploy 5G in existing spectrum with a software installation. And uh, you can do that remotely, which is, of course, a huge benefit uh, to just rely on the existing hardware and, and, and upgrade it to uh, with a remote software installation to 5G. Well, it's, it's a big game changer, isn't it? Because, I, I mean, I know one of the things that I love about what Ericsson's offering is that you know, you're you're kind of eating your own cake. You you you've become your own first customer in many ways. I like to describe it. And those, you've been through the whole digital transformation as an organization. You've made the whole uh, transformation to becoming a cloud enabled company. You've built this massive capability around the OpenStack space. Uh, I've had uh, uh, you know, friends like uh, uh, Mats Carlson, uh, who used to head up the R and D portfolio for a time, uh, talk about. The, the, the work that's been done at OpenStack and how it's been deployed, it is now the telco cloud. You've managed to get so many nines out of it. Uh, when we were at MWC earlier this year, I was amazed to see, as you said, like, you know, essentially a, uh, a, a small device that uh, sat on the edge of a pole and could run OpenStack in that device as well as uh, in the data center environments. Um, and this whole software-defined infrastructure and network function virtualization seems to me that we've cloudified the telco space and, you know, whether it's uh, you know, an, a cloud-native app, whether it's sitting in a Dockerized container and running under Kubernetes on OpenStack or whether it's uh, virtualized, this can be done on demand. It can be done instantly. I think Matt's talked about something it used to take eight months to do when it was routers and switches and servers and people plugging things in to uh, now to eight minutes. And I guess this is a massive game changer because now, uh, just like the point you made before, we don't have to rip up streets and run cable. We can run FWA around the place and provide much uh, more rapid deployment of capability of access and networks and also lower cost and faster time to market. This cloud enablement of the Ericsson capability all the way through to OSS and BSS platforms, I mean, that, that must be a significant game change as well from the 5G deployment because, as you said, you don't have to go and plug things in. It just It's, it's software-defined, it's described, it's orchestrated, automated, and you can instantiate it on demand. Yes, I mean we are we are effectively across the company. We are we are preparing the entire portfolio for 5G. So we've been talking a lot about access now, the radio access, 
But we also have transport, we have the core, we have the cloud services, we have a distributed cloud infrastructure, we have, we have our uh, BSS system, OSS system, and we have services uh, that support uh, installation and support. For, for all these nodes. So we are basically shaping up the entire portfolio to support 5G. I actually had the privilege of having a, a long chat when I was doing this blog uh, around what FWA meant to the market and uh, early adopters of, of offering 5G services with, uh, is it uh, John uh, Yazel, your program director for 5G commercialization in your team? And one of the things that came up was uh, that you know some of the new things we're seeing, particularly like fixed wireless access, are the new killer apps. Once upon a time, voice was a killer app, then voicemail, and then I guess you know streaming content. But FWA seemed to be a, a killer app because, particularly with network slicing, because you can offer different levels of services in the same place. And um, you know whether it's me at home on on one uh, fixed wireless access router for my personal use, or somebody next door as a prosumer using it for professional professional use. Or a small to medium-sized uh, organization around the corner selling products and services uh, using it for FPOS, all in the same capability, all in the same platform, all in the same uh, spectrum even, um, just using network slicing to offer different services. That seemed to be a big game change as well. And I guess that leads me to my next question around, uh, and it's almost, I guess, uh, one of the things I'd like to wrap up on, and that's part of the thing I like to do with a lot of people is a little bit of crystal ball gazing. Um, when we think about some of the future use cases, um, FWA is one of them. There are two really big spaces I'd love to chat about where what 5G brings to the table, particularly the Internet of Things. I mean, it's it's one of these groundswell things that's sort of snuck up on us, but it's becoming a tsunami. And the other area is smart manufacturing, because I think we're, we're seeing manufacturing uh, and that whole space around building things being transformed with what 5G makes possible, particularly autonomous uh, uh, things, you know, robots have been moving on the floor for a while, but they haven't necessarily been as smart as they could be. What are some, you know, if you're if you're going to gaze into a crystal ball for a while for a moment and just look over the horizon the next three to five years, what are some of the future use cases in the space of IoT and smart manufacturing that we should be thinking about, and particularly with what five G actually makes possible and brings to the table? Well, if you look to IoT as such, uh, it's definitely an area that is exploding already, and it's exploding on existing technologies too. I mean, as a matter of fact, the, most of the connected devices on IoT is actually on 2G still. But as we see now, uh, new technologies being deployed, moved to to with LTE and then into 5G, there will be there will be other uh, possibilities, of course, to uh, to enable new use cases. But but cellular IoT is really really exploding. And one area, if I would just start with uh, the consumer aspect, uh, and then we can fill in with uh, the more industrial aspect of manufacturing. But um, one trend globally is, of course, the interest that people take in their own well-being and different uh, wearables and, and uh, sensors that be, could be connected to yourself to actually track your health status and give you information. Not all of that would necessarily have to be relying on, on 5G to begin with, definitely not so. But it, would, it has to be reliable, it has to be stable, and you have to be able to trust that the data is being not compromised with because it's personal, it regards your health status. So all of that, I think, are excellent um, opportunities for cellular technology to really help people uh, benefit not only personally, because it's not, it's not only for the healthcare system, it's actually that people uh, take interest themselves in their personal well-being and show a lot of interest in these different devices to track 
everything from you know blood pressure to to other things. Even simpler things. I got the new toothbrush the other week, and it's connected. Yeah. And you know, I thought this was weird first, but you know, the, it actually shows on an app if I press too hard, and you know, it really you know meters that I do it long enough, and it asks follow-up questions and gives advice on how to do it even better. So, I think there are a lot of things that will be connected, as you say. Mm -hmm. yeah. Could even interest that my kids interested in yeah. <laughs> brushing their teeth. They get immediate yeah. feedback. Oh my God, a yeah. toothbrush! I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. You got to email me the details. Of that, I can see. That. <laughs> I can see the gamification of that. I mean, you know, if we're getting kids to now, watch, if kids I can are watching, my kids compete about who's brushing their teeth best. Game, you know? Games exist. My oh my, my little one. He has an app where you know they you know measures how long he, he you win points if you do it regularly and for the full two minutes and all that and then he gets to play a game. So that's another you know new type of coin you can get. You brush your teeth well enough and you get to play the game and yeah. you get better teeth on yeah. top of it. I yeah. mean that's great for mom too. Yeah. That's genius. I mean it's like you know we talked earlier <laughs> about kids watching a video for sixty seconds to watch YouTube or in the case of my son, he was watching videos to to level up in a game that I won't mention the name of it. Yeah, it, we laugh about it, but I guess at the end of the day, that gamification is a, a real, is a change. It is, in, yeah, for in, sure. Like, certainly cultural, behaviorally. There, there are three key things uh, in that whole space of the mobility report that really um, I just wanted to wrap up on quickly because I'm keen to get your insights on it. Um, I think it was on page 26, I made a note of it, developing the whole smart wireless manufacturing market and what's, you know, the whole cellular networks make possible for IoT. There are three key mm -hmm. things that I was keen to get on. There were um, a couple of things that you said that there are fundamental aspects that, that manufacturing depends on. So bridging the perceived value gap, um, addressing the right, right pain, point, uh, pain points, and um, I guess building you know, the horizontal and scalable solutions. Um, bridging this perceived value gap, I mean, what's the context behind that? When we think about uh, what's happening in, in, in manufacturing now, uh, where where do, where are you seeing with re, with regard to the context of the mobility report, particularly the latest edition, the November two thousand eighteen version? Um, what was the thinking around the perceived value gap? Where do you think uh, manufacturing currently uh, may have some issues, and they want that value gap closed? So so this is relatively new to us. I mean, we we don't have an enterprise arm. We don't deal directly with enterprises and so forth. But we are just amazed how they come to us now and say, you have this fantastic te technology. We really want to use it. We can't use cabling to all our machines because they move and they break and can't be maintained. And we can't use Wi-Fi because it's either not reliable or not uh, enough or, or uh, it's not short latency enough. It's not fast response time enough. So there is a trade-off inherently built in that technology. So we really want to use your 4G and 5G. And it's a diverse spectrum of companies. It's all about, it's all from, you know, mining companies that need to digitalize their, their mines and keep track of all their big machines and have communication systems that safely work underground to, uh, you know, very advanced manufacturing companies that uh, that make um, uh, turbines for jet engines or or other kind of precision equipment. Um, uh, it can be to administrate uh, uh, drugs, for example, where it's very quality and be able to track um, um, your your devices very very carefully is very very important from a regulatory standpoint and safety standpoint. So I, it's the whole spectrum. And we really think that this is something that will explode. We, we did an interesting analysis of our own 
one of our own manufacturing plants, and we we found that they 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 want to have for the future a sensor or a camera or some sort of device every second square meter in that factory, and that's going to be required to make digital copies of the factory so you can off, off, so you can uh, simulate new production uh, setups as demand changes uh, or optimize your your uh, manufacturing flow keep track of a lot of equipment that keeps on coming into the factories uh, so the whole digitalization of industries will be greatly helped with uh, 5g Wow. But I think, and, and to complement what you, you asked about, the, if there are any perceived gaps, I think what we learn by engaging with the companies that come to us uh, is, of course, to understand their pain points and problems, and then we can complement with how our technology can actually help. So even though some industries would wake up and think, you know, what is 5G and how can it help me? We have to be humble enough to realize that not everyone takes so much interest in, in 5G as we do, and it's our expertise. So then we have to bring to the table what we can actually do and then map it to the pain points and, and interest areas of, of the different industries. And then we can come a very long way together. Yeah. Yeah, I see this whole thing as a, a partnership thing. And I was uh, I had the privilege of being with the uh, team at uh, New York a couple of weeks ago with the uh, Operational support systems and business support systems user group, and uh, one, two things really struck me. One, you managed to get uh, 61 operators and carriers under the same roof without uh, erupting into World War Three. That was phenomenal. But the big thing for me was uh, co-opt and co-create, and uh, the, there was not a single moment in that week where I noticed there was any heated discussion. Uh, direct competitors were shaking hands, uh, arms on shoulders, talking very pleasantly with Ericsson in the middle about how they were going to build new capabilities and new things. And I think for me, that really tops off what you were just talking about there, which is um, Ericsson doesn't have to be everything to everyone. It just has to be the right things to the right people. And more importantly, um, other organizations seem to be coming to you now with big, broad questions, but not necessarily expecting you to know everything about it, but maybe expecting you to be open enough to have a conversation to learn about it with them. And that seems to be what you're already doing uh, in, in by the droves. Uh, I think all of that seems to open up some very exciting future prospects for us. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next three to five years and what's possible, not just for myself and my smart devices, but my 14-year-old son and my 17-year-old daughter and the world they're going to grow up into and, and inherit. Um, and uh, with that, I think we'll wrap up because I know I've been uh, chatting with you for a long time and I appreciate your time. But uh, Cecilia and uh, Thomas, thank you so much for making time to catch up with me. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you both personally and to get your great insights in what's happening, not just with the Ericsson Mobility Report, the, uh, the latest edition, uh, the November 2018 release, but also uh, just the whole world of 5G and uh, what's coming over the horizon. Thank, Thank you, Des. Des. Thank it, was you. A, it was a real pleasure on our side, yeah. too. Great to, to talk to you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. You are too kind, and we'll look forward to having you both back on the show again soon. So, folks, uh, we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much for tuning in yet again. Uh, this has been another episode of Conversations with Des in the Transmissions from Tomorrow themed episodes. And I've had the pleasure of having uh, Cecilia Atterall, the uh, VP and Head of Marketing and Communications for Ericsson. Uh, for Ericsson, uh, for Networks in Ericsson, and also uh, Thomas Noren, who's the VP and Head of 5G Commercialization at Ericsson. Thank you, Cecilia. Thank you, Thomas. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, we look forward to uh, having you on the show again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.